Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is the ninth episode of our third series of podcasts for solution-focused hypnotherapists and I'm Cathy Eland. And I'm Trevor Eddles and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. Today we're looking at grief and how we can help our clients who are struggling with it. Okay, grief can be defined as an emotion of great sadness associated with loss or bereavement or deep and intense mental anguish following a bereavement, or keen mental distress or suffering, especially after the death of someone close. So grief is related to the loss of a valued someone or something. Dealing with the loss is an emotional process that is typically not ordered or predictable. Bereavement includes grief and mourning, which is outward and sometimes a ritualized expression of loss. The websites at whatsyourgrief.com and elise.com suggest that there are a number of types of grief, and they are. Normal grief. There are no set guidelines to define normal grief in terms of timelines or severity of grief. Instead, think of normal grief as any normal feelings, reactions and behaviours that are expected after a loss. The reactions can be physical, psychological, cognitive and behavioural. Normal grief is typical after a wide range of different types of loss, including non-violent and status-type losses, e.g. divorce and separation, loss of work and home, imprisonment. Normal grief is marked by movement towards acceptance of the loss and a gradual alleviation of the symptoms, as well as the ability to continue to engage in basic daily activities. There's anticipatory grief. This is a process to deal with anticipated and real losses that are associated with some diagnosis, acute and chronic illnesses and terminal illness of the self or significant others. Losses may include health, functionality, independence, role, i.e. caretaker or breadwinner, dignity, body parts or life. Grief that occurs preceding a loss can be confusing because a person may feel conflicted or guilty for experiencing grief reactions about someone who is still here. It can allow those who love the individual to slowly and gradually prepare for and absorb the reality of the loss. And next, we've got complicated grief, for example, traumatic or prolonged, which we'll talk about later. This refers to grief reactions and feelings of loss that are debilitating, long lasting and or impair a person's ability to engage in daily activities. It's often associated with a significant loss and trauma, including violent and unexpected deaths, multiple losses, and may be exacerbated by unresolved grief, concurrent stresses, mental illness, and a lack of support systems. Complicated grief comprises chronic grief, delayed grief, exaggerated grief, distorted grief, and masked grief. Uh, so let's uh, have a look at chronic grief. So this is a normal grief reaction that does not subside and continues for periods longer than are generally accepted as usual. A person continually experiences extreme distress over the loss with no progress towards feeling better or improving functioning. 
If left untreated, chronic grief can develop into severe clinical depression, suicidal or self-harming thoughts, and even substance abuse. Okay, next, we've got delayed grief. This is an emotional response to loss that's suppressed or postponed when the survivor consciously or subconsciously avoids the associated pain. Uh, let's look at exaggerated grief. This is felt through the intensification of the normal grief responses. This tends to worsen over time. It is characterized by extreme and excessive grief reactions, possibly to include nightmares, self-destructive behaviors, drug abuse, thoughts of suicide, abnormal fears, and the development or emergence of psychiatric disorders. And next, distorted grief. This can be seen as extreme, intense or atypical reactions to loss. For example, noticeable changes in behaviour, hostility towards a particular person, plus other self-destructive behaviours. And masked grief is where the survivor is not aware that their out-of-character behaviour following a loss is in fact connected to the loss. Next, disenfranchised grief or ambiguous loss. This occurs when a loss is experienced that cannot be openly acknowledged, publicly shared or socially sanctioned. A person's experience is not recognised and they are excluded from traditional mourning. This can occur when the death is stigmatised, for example, suicide, overdose, HIV, AIDS, drunk driving. The relationship is seen as insignificant, e.g. an ex-spouse or co-worker, a miscarriage perhaps, or even a pet. And the relationship is stigmatised by society, maybe a same-sex partner or gang member or partner from an extramarital affair. Or the loss is not a death, e.g. dementia, traumatic brain injury, mental illness, substance abuse, stuff like that. Okay. And there's cumulative grief. This can occur when multiple losses are experienced, often within a short period of time. Cumulative grief can be stressful because you don't have time to properly grieve one loss before experiencing the next. This is also referred to as bereavement overload or grief overload. And then we've got traumatic grief. A normal grief response experienced in combination with traumatic distress suffered as a result of a loved one dying in a way perceived to be frightening, horrifying, unexpected, violent and or other traumatic way. Distress is extreme enough to impair daily functioning. Prolonged grief, like chronic grief, grief reactions are prolonged and intense. The griever spends much time contemplating the death longing for reunion and is unable to adjust to life without the individual. Secondary loss. This occurs when a loss affects multiple areas of an individual's life and the emotional response to those losses. Collective grief. This is the grief felt by a group or community following an event such as a war or a natural disaster or a terrorist attack, or death of a public figure, or any other event leading to mass casualties or national tragedy. Inhibited grief. This occurs when an individual shows no outward sign of grief for an extended period of time. The individual inhibits their grief, 
eventually leading to physical manifestations and somatic or, or bodily complaints. Abbreviated grief. This is a short-lived grief response. This could occur due to someone or something immediately filling the void, the distance that was felt or the experience of anticipatory grief. And then we've got absent grief. This is where a person shows no signs of grief and acts as though nothing has happened. This can be the result of complete shock or denial of the death. It can be concerning if someone experiences absent grief for an extended period of time. We have shadow or anniversary grief. This often catches the griever unaware. Grief reactions are prompted by the anniversary of a death or other dates or times or specific days. Perhaps a much longer list than people might expect. The normal grieving person typically maintains the hope that their mood and other reactions will improve with time, whereas the clinically depressed person typically has no such hope or expectation. Watching TV programmes and films, you'd think everyone went through the five stages of grief that were first specified by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book On Death and Dying. The stages are... Denial. I feel fine. This can't be happening to me. Anger. Why me? It's not fair. How can this happen to me? Who is to blame? People can be angry with themselves and with others. There's bargaining. I'll do anything for a few more years. I will give my life savings if... Oh, depression. I'm so sad. Why bother with anything? I'm going to die soon, so what's the point? I miss my loved one, so why go on? An acceptance. It'll be okay. I can't fight it. I may as well prepare for it. But these stages were only what Kubler-Ross had observed and were not meant to be prescriptive, only descriptive. Other researchers have not observed people moving through these stages. So, if people aren't working their way through the five stages of grief, what are they doing? Well, George Bonanno suggested that the natural resilience is the main component of grief and trauma reactions. He came up with what he called four trajectories of grief. He even showed that the absence of grief or trauma symptoms is a healthy outcome. He found that grief responses can include laughter, celebration, borediness, as well as sadness, which is what you would expect. He called these counterintuitive stages coping ugly. He also found that resilience is normal for people. Here are his four trajectories. Hey, one, resilience, the ability to maintain relatively stable, healthy levels of psychological and physical functioning. Recovery, following uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD episodes. Chronic dysfunction, prolonged suffering and inability to function. Delayed grief or trauma when adjustment seems normal, but distress increases months later. Charles A. Core suggested that individuals may try out different coping strategies only to reject them. He also thought that a person may pursue several strategies at the same time, even if they're not compatible. Okay, so according to the Changing Minds website, mm. we are not always able to cope with the difficulties that we face. 
As a result, we are subject to feelings of tension and stress. For example, the cognitive dissonance and potential shame of doing something outside our values. To handle this discomfort, we use various coping methods and they go on to suggest a number of types of coping mechanisms. Okay, so we've got adaptive mechanisms that offer positive help. Attack mechanisms that push discomfort onto others. Avoidance mechanisms that avoid the issue. Behavioural mechanisms that change what we do. Cognitive mechanisms that change what we think. Conversion mechanisms that change one thing into another. Defence mechanisms. Freud's original set, you know, repression, identification and rationalisation. And self-harm mechanisms that hurt ourselves. There are a number of other potential coping strategies that people use. Complicated grief, which we mentioned earlier, is a concern in mental health care because emotions and reactions are prolonged and intensified and may last more than a year and interfere with the person's daily psychological, social and physiological functioning. This behavioural impairment typically includes any combination of the following behaviours and symptoms, isolation and withdrawal, aggressive and violent behaviour, suicidal ideation, addictive and risk-taking behaviour, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, depression and anxiety, and impaired executive functions, i.e. regulation and control of communication, thought or motor skills. If untreated, complicated grief, like traumatic grief, can present symptoms of the same severity and intensity 30 years after a loss. Other feelings that may exacerbate and prolong the symptoms are feelings of powerlessness in not being able to prevent the death, anger at those who caused it, anger at oneself for making a real or imagined mistake that resulted in the death, not being able to show emotional vulnerability and masking intense feelings and numbing and depersonalization as defensive mechanisms. Traumatic grief is often coexisting with PTSD. And William Worden describes the four tasks of mourning in his book Grief Counselling and Grief Therapy, from 1991 they are right task one to accept the reality of the loss a normal response to death of a loved one is a sense that it has not really happened right denial is the opposite of this task it can come in many forms you may see the deceased in a crowd or still set the table for them or you may hold on to the belief that they will return in some way until a mourner can realize that their loved one is gone and that there is no hope of reunion, they will never be able to move on from the acute grief that they feel. This task does not need to be rushed in most cases. Okay, task two, to work through the pain of grief. Grief has so many mixed feelings with such force that people sometimes feel that they will not survive it. People may try to mask the feelings by staying busy or keeping strong, the feelings still exist, and by not letting them be expressed, people create pressure on themselves that will show itself in some way. Could be back pain or stomach pain or even chest pain. 
for a person to work through their grief, they must be in touch with it, admit that something has happened and is happening to them. Yeah, task three, to adjust to an environment in which the deceased is missing. People must recognise all that they have lost beyond simply the presence of their loved one. They've lost the relationship. They still have memories, lessons, and all the intangible gifts that one person gives another. Task four, to emotionally relocate the deceased and move on with life. The goal is neither to forget the deceased nor to dishonour them in any way. The task is not to replace the lost person, but to continue to fulfil our social needs. Worden explains that the task becomes not to give up your relationship with the deceased, but to continue to love who they were and find an appropriate place for the person in your emotional life, a place that will enable you to go on living effectively in the world. Yeah. Um, it's suggested that clients with PTSD or depression, as well as complicated or traumatic grief, should have the PTSD or depression dealt with first. Right. So acute grief, which is grief experienced shortly after the loss, is the early response to loss that can be intense and all-encompassing. It can involve intense daily yearning to be reunited with the lost one. It can be significant emotional pain, as well as a multitude of physical reactions that people may never have felt before, like heart palpitations or butterflies in the stomach, frequent yawning or even dizziness or fogginess, and the feelings of unreality. People often report distracting thoughts of the deceased, troubled focusing attention and even forgetfulness but these are all normal adaptive reactions within the context of grief. The treatment during the acute stage of grief will best include acknowledgement of the loss, communication of understanding of the depth of feelings, encouragement to recover positive memories of the deceased, recognition of the good intentions of the survivor to come to the aid of the deceased, education about what to expect during the course of acute grief and encouragement of distraction and relaxation techniques as a temporary palliative. Yeah, the therapist's most important tasks with grieving clients are to normalise their experience, assist them to recognise and acknowledge their grief, educate and encourage them to accept their feelings, adjust their lives to their new circumstances without negating the memory of the loved one and assess and monitor the client's condition to determine the risk of prolonged and maladaptive symptoms. What can people do to help someone who is grieving? Let them talk to you about their feelings and memories and encourage them to share memories with others. Encourage them to get some exercise, e.g. a peaceful, quiet walk. Remind them what they're going through is normal. Let them know that people grieve in different ways. Tell them it's okay for them to cry as, as often as they like. Tell them it's all right for them to laugh when they can. Yeah. They will experience a range of feelings and numbness, relief, being overwhelmed, shock, anger. This is normal. 
encourage them to recognize their emotions. Remind them that grieving takes time. It doesn't stop after the funeral. Tell them it's okay for them to ask for help. Maybe a support group may work for them. Tell them they should take one day at a time to help them cope. Yeah. And hypnotherapy can help clients to manage their internal experiences so that they can move from feelings of pain and sadness to those of acceptance and calm. Hypnotherapy can help make the process of bereavement and mourning less painful and more manageable. And how? Well, by... Helping people come to terms with their loss. Visualising a positive future and setting goals. Lowering emotional response of fear and loneliness. Increased levels of self-esteem. Overcoming temporary responses such as poor eating or lack of exercise, etc. Dealing with unresolved issues with the deceased. Celebrating the life of the deceased. And clients may need help before the funeral. They may need help to get through the funeral. And they will probably need help for a period of time after the funeral. The funeral doesn't mark the end of the feelings of grief. People who come to see about grief and bereavement issues may be experiencing shock and disbelief at their loss. They will probably be feeling very sad and may cry a lot. Some people may be feeling guilty about the things they said or or didn't say, or they may feel guilty at their feelings of relief, for example, after a long illness. They may be feeling angry at the world for taking away their loved one, or they may feel angry with themselves. They may be feeling fear because they've been left alone to cope or because they realise their own mortality. And they may be experiencing physical symptoms such as fatigue, nausea, insomnia, aches and pains. But it's important to tell clients that they do have permission to express their feelings, not just during a session. And they can do this by talking to an empty chair, that's a gestalt technique, or writing a letter to the deceased. They need to understand that they don't need to move on or get over it until they are ready. Grief is a natural process. It won't last forever. And the client will be able to move on when they are ready. You can plan ahead with the client for occasions that will trigger their sad feelings, for example, anniversaries or visiting places they associate with the deceased. Let them know that they are allowed to cry when they're with you. And they're also allowed to laugh, whatever feels right for them. And be prepared to hear the same story over and over again. The client is processing and accepting the death. And repeating the story helps to lessen the pain of the loss for them. Of course, it's never good to start sentences with, you should, when suggesting things your client might do. And it's worth avoiding platitudes such as saying, it's all part of God's plan. Prolonged grief disorder, or PGD, is also called complicated grief. And this presents as long-term with severe grief symptoms. Most people are resilient and start to move on with their life. However, the helpguide.org site suggests that after two months, there are warning signs to look out for, indicating that people need help. These are... Difficulty functioning in daily life. 
Extreme focus on the death. Excessive bitterness, anger or guilt. Neglecting personal hygiene. Yeah. Alcohol or drug abuse. Inability to enjoy life. Uh, having hallucinations. Yeah, withdrawing from others. Constant feelings of hopelessness. Talking about dying or, or suicide. Yeah. And you may well see people experiencing some of these difficulties following bereavement, and it may be that they need medical help as well. Going back to resilience, which is sometimes called hardiness, mental toughness or resourcefulness, but whatever term is used, it refers to an individual's ability to cope with their stress and adversity. For people who've suffered a loss, it's their ability to cope with their grief. Fredrickson in 2003 identified more resilient people as those who noticed positive meanings in the problems they faced, experienced fewer depressive symptoms and experienced more positive emotions than less resilient people. And Ong in 2006 found low resistant people had difficulties regulating negative emotions and overreacted to normal daily events. As hypnotherapists, we need to help clients to be more positive about aspects of their life and recognise good things in their life, which I guess we're all doing with our clients anyway. Right. Well, there we are. Um, I hope you found that useful. Next time, we're looking at addictions and cravings. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Eddles. See you next time. Bye. Bye.